Love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. times. I sought a theological tradition that would organize it and give me the dogma so that I would not face pain again. These are the authors that you are to read. Here are the authors you are to avoid. Functioned for me as another God. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we are continuing our series on how our personality impacts our relationship with God and our approach to faith. Right. And we have been semi-quoting Richard Rohr each episode, but we have a special treat this week that we're going to read the full quote. How we relate to God always reveals how we will relate to people. And how we relate to people is an almost infallible indicator of how we relate to God and let God relate to us. So it's all connected. Yeah. That's the summary. Yeah. In other words, (laughs) how we relate. Is how we relate. Is how we relate. Yes. So you have one relational style and you like to apply it liberally in all of life. So the way you relate to people is going to be the same or similar way that you relate to God. And today we're going to explore how this shows up for type sixes, the loyalists. Yeah, so we're going to continue our way through the head triad. And just a note, today's content is building on our 101 content from season one of the show. So make sure that you have a basic understanding of the Enneagram before diving in further, because otherwise you're going to be super confused on why we are saying the things we are. (laughs) Okay, so Lindsay, where do we start? Well, we're going to look at three things. First, how their personality influences their relationship with God. Second, how their lens influences their view of God. And third, how God heals people with this Enneagram type. All right, so first, let's explore how their personality influences their relationship with God. Lindsay, give me an idea of what this looks like when it's healthy. Well, Jesse, you always talk about sixes being covenant people. Yeah. You know, these are people who are extremely loyal um, and faithful. They are looking for a trustworthy leader. And so when they give their lives to God, they are going to follow him with their whole self. Yeah. They're just like, put me in coach. Like, tell me where to go. I'm on the team. I'm in it. I will do the hard thing. I will stick with it to the end. I will persevere, you know, Mm -hmm. to the end of the race. And then that makes them great team players as far as the church is concerned. You Mm -hmm. know, they're going to be in it for God's church because like, okay, I'm I'm here for Jesus. Jesus said, take care of the church, be the church. So I'm in. 
Yeah, yeah, they are. They're they're these deeply committed people. They have this emotional realness about mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you see is what you get. Like, not a lot of persona. You know, yeah. all cards tend to be on the table. Very authentic, genuine. You know, the sense like when you see a six that is really pursuing their faith, like you just go like. That is genuine. Like the, mm-hmm, it's not fabricated. Mm-hmm. It's not this sense of they're doing it for show. Right. The thing too that I love about it is like if you've ever prayed with a six or like heard a six, you know, talk to God. There's a sense in which like they can be very honest with God, even angry with God, mm. but they don't abandon God. There's not a sense in which they go mm. like, and that's it, and I'm out of here. They are abounding in trust. I like that. Okay, so that is the good news. We also need to look at ways that their personality negatively influences their faith. Right. So Lisa Vischer told us that psychology informs theology. In other words, your personality, your specific lens, your flavor of life, you know, Mm -hmm. however you want to say it, it's going to lead you to put a little bit more weight on certain theological issues or points of service. And that creates a slanted rule of life. So we relate to God through a skewed approach that takes a good thing like service or Bible reading or whatever it is and makes it an ultimate thing at the expense of other good things. Yeah, yeah. And for the six, uh, their experience of God tends to revolve around faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So what does this overemphasis on faithfulness look like? The sixes can move from an abounding faith to suddenly abounding in doubt. Like, and it can all happen like in like a, you know, one hour period. It's like, I believe, I believe. And then it's like, I don't believe at all. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that can happen. Or they could even become rigid in their compliance to God. So on the outside, like it looks like they're doing the right stuff. It's sort of like they're doing the dance, but it's not very elegant. There's yeah. a rigidness to it because it sort of has um, this anxiousness to it. So like as opposed to like living in a peace that passes all understanding, their pursuit of faith can end up having this, sort of this anxious rigidness to it. So if you take this train mm-hmm. all the way to the end of the line, like and you're like, what is song. it? For when you get to the end of the line. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Onward, Christian soldiers, <laughs> marching us to war. Yeah. That's what you're going to say, right? That was not what I was going to say, but that's good. <laughs> Here's what I was thinking. Like, if you take this all the way to the end of the line, when an unhealthy six is coming to God and they're, it's getting all wrapped up in that unhealth, mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting into like the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting into mm-hmm. sort of like hunting for everybody who threatens the faith Or you get the other end, which is like this perpetual doubting loner who Mm. refuses to ever join a church community again because Mm -hmm. of past experiences. They cannot trust. So it's either I'm all in and it's us versus you or I'm all out and it's me versus you. Yeah. Um, And they just don't know where to place their loyalty and they end up just being tossed around. And so they end up with this really skewed experience of God. Yeah. Yeah. One of the teachers that I studied under talked about that we see so much six within the church at large, like not just one denomination or the other, but in general kind of Christendom, you know, you have, oh, these people follow the Pope. That is the ultimate authority. And it impacts your relationship with God because it's like, well, this person is kind of a mediator between me and God. So I must 
follow and obey. And like you said, like go full in or then that person breaks my trust and I'm all the way out. And I think sometimes not just sixes, but all of our little sixes within us, we do contribute to the problem that we see today of these celebrity pastors, you know, these giant churches and everyone's following until all of a sudden they realize they're at the bottom of a cliff they just jumped off of. Mm -hmm. And and then it's like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we got to wake up before the edge of the cliff. Yeah, You know, we can't blindly follow, but then, yeah, we can't do the opposite and just start taking people out. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so you think about like the six, you know, some of their key traits, like they need security. Yeah. uh, They need to manage risks. uh, Their Mm -hmm. need to feel prepared. uh, Their tendency to want to test people, to test uh, different circumstances. And of course, like they bring this to God. They're like, you know, God, I'm going to test you. You didn't show up the way Mm -hmm. that I expected you to show up. And if you're not showing up this way, then you're not trustworthy. And therefore, I'm going to, I got my own plan to deal with all of this. And then, of course, you know, you've talked about it before, like, you know, the sixth sort of thing around authority, like they Mm -hmm. like love authority Mm -hmm. and then hate it. Yes. Well, God is the greatest authority, you know, and so there can be a real push-pull dynamic with God. Yeah. All right. So that is how this type tends to relate to God. But one of the reasons that we relate to God incorrectly is because we see him incorrectly. So how does the lens of this personality type distort the way they see God? Yeah, you know, as an authoritarian leader with expectations and demands, somebody who Mm -hmm. is not trustworthy, somebody who's going to be punitive or be neglectful or somebody who's distracted and not Mm -hmm. vigilant. And so it's a God who is not involved and not responding to the ever-present needs of Mm -hmm. his children. Yeah, It's so interesting. I just had this thought that, you know, all of us have to grapple with what do we do with the silence of God? Because we all experience it, but we all attribute it to something different. Yeah. Like, is it that he's not faithful? Is it that he doesn't love me? I'm too broken. Is it just that's not part of the equation? I just need to know more. And it doesn't matter if he speaks to me. You know, we all have to deal with this gap that we experience between how close we want God to be, but what we actually feel in our bodies Mm -hmm. and in our minds. Mm -hmm. So we see that coming out in this way in the six, that they're just dying for faithfulness. But when the silence comes or something happens that they can explain, then they have to it's terrifying. Create. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's that's the distorted view of God. Yeah. What is the true image of God? Well, the true image of God is that Jesus is the true loyalist. He always has been and always will be faithful. And then we know that God is always present. So that silence that we were just talking about, he is always present and with them. And also that he created them, has put his spirit in them, and therefore they can trust themselves. You know, that God is okay with them having that agency, you know, because he created them. And then also that God has promised to be there in the worst of times and the best of times. And then lastly, we talk a lot about how sixes can trust that God is taking them from the what if. What if this bad thing happens? What if this goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? To the even if. Like, I will be with you even if Mm -hmm. those worst things happen, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you can rest. You can trust. Yep. From what if to even if. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so for type six, we have looked at how personality influences their relationship with God and how their lens influences their view of God. So that now leaves us with the question of how God heals people with this Enneagram type. Right. So we're not going to give good advice. We don't have like 10 tips to be a better six with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But we do have good news. And so we talk about that. We are healed through the good news. So what is the good news for the type six? Yeah. So the good news for the type six is that he heals your fear with his presence. Mm -hmm. Sixes are often just riddled with fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's a real sense of, I don't have the resources I need. I'm Mm -hmm. not supported in the ways that I need. And God says, fear not, I am with you. Mm -hmm. I am with you. I am with you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And often... If you look around, the Lord is at work in the community around you, but you are never alone, never abandoned. And uh, he heals your shame with his delight, and he heals your guilt with his forgiveness. Yes. So the good news for this type is that Jesus says to them, you're safe in my care. Yeah. Like, though there be fires raging— You are safe in my care. Yes. And so this good news, you know, it leads to transformation. So after receiving this good news, you're invited to respond as a disciple, move from fear to courage. So avoid cowardice Mm -hmm. and avoid attack. Instead, just choosing the middle way of trustful actions. So avoiding sort of that ping pong thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that often fear is going to throw you into one ditch or the other. And instead, choose the steady middle in which you appropriately trust God and other people and you trust the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is inside of you. So uh, so trust that. Trust that. So a final couple of tips that we do have for type sixes come from our friend A.J. Sherrill and his book, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. So he has suggested some spiritual disciplines for each type. So first, the downstream discipline, this should be the easier go with the flow discipline for the six is submission and immersive scripture reading. Which looks like what? I would say sixes are in that head triad. So they're going to want to read the facts. They're going to want to know what they're dealing with. They're going to be faithful to reading God's word and knowing God's word. And then submission, I don't know what you would say to that, because I I don't think of that as a spiritual gift necessarily, but... I, I mean, I will tell you, like, my wife is not content just for the knowledge. The knowledge mm. has implications. Mm-hmm. So she reads it and she's like, well, this means something. It means something about the way that I live. And so it's a both and. So the upstream discipline is going to be acts of faith mm-hmm. and memorizing scripture. Yeah. Um, in acts of faith, it's going to look like that Jesus did not wait for everything to be safe before mm-hmm. he took mm-hmm. action. And that's the invitation that God gives to the six as well. And then a good way to do that, the transforming of your mind by yeah. memorizing scripture and being able to recall that scripture in the moments that you need it. Yes. Okay. So that is... How sixes often relate to God. Uh, neither of us are type six, and so we need somebody to guide us today. Yes. So, uh, so our guest today is Jeff McCord. Uh, Jeff actually has so many certifications yes. that it's it's hard to know which ones to pick. So here we go. Buckle up. He is a former pastor, graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, a counselor with training from both the Gottman Institute and the Allender Center, as well as the Christian Counselors Association a business-made-simple coach from StoryBrand. He is the CEO of Your Enneagram Coach, the largest Enneagram coaching company in the world. He is the author of the brand-new best-selling book, More Than Your Number, A Christ-Centered Enneagram Approach to Becoming Aware of Your Internal World, and 
I have to say from personal experience that I am aware he is also one of the best business strategists that I have ever met. So a pastor's heart with a strategist's mind. Mm. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Yeah. Wow. That What what an introduction, because uh, I got to be honest, as a six, I sometimes feel the exact opposite of all of that. Mm. Well, it doesn't change the fact it's that the it's the all facts. true. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, let's, let's start here, Jeff. What from our time today resonated with you or stuck out to you? Oh, man. I mean, you're you're kind of reading my mail, so <laughs> it, it's a little hard to differentiate different things. I think what uh, a couple of things. One, the term that I learned to use uh, in my Allender training is ambivalence mm. of feeling competing emotions, desires, and thoughts uh, internally. And that captures every bit of my relationship with God. So I can sing something like, uh, um, you're a good, good father. And then at times be so, feel so orphan-like and abandoned by God. Mm. I can, so you mentioned about reading and memorizing scripture and in the navigator, scripture memory is a big deal. And so I probably memorized over a thousand verses. But so much of that was to prove loyalty to the staff and to God. Mm. Now, is it a part of me and a good part of me as I steward this season of my life? Absolutely. I would never want to go back and not do it. But I also recognize that I did it out of mixed motives that at times were burdensome to me versus comforting or peace-giving to me. Uh, and that also relates to uh, my ambivalence. It relates to the church. I was an executive pastor, and to be quite honest with you, I was living out that role from a six perspective. So I was going to be the one who could take care of everybody and keep the family together. And so I was loyal and faithful to the church, but in some ways it was actually serving a very fleshly part of my heart to be some kind of savior for the church. Mm. And so I would be, could be critical and judgmental. I could be incredibly helpful and positive and supportive. I could be all and, and that also related to my relationship uh, with God, to others, and even to the organization itself. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's let's go to a commercial. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeff McCord. Stay with us. Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We connect young adults directly with local nonprofits, where they provide volunteer hours free of charge to ministries while also gaining real-world work experience. One area of service is our social enterprise track. I'm Stephanie Culver. Stephanie manages Thrift and Thrive a thrift store that also provides job training for men coming out of addiction and homelessness. And she shared some of the ways our interns have served at the store. In so many different ways, we've had interns who helped us set up our eBay and help set up the way we work it and how we do it. They come out here and they've worked with our guys and they do sorting and pricing and cleaning and just anything we need. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, Come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 through 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org.
It's the Anycast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And we have been talking with Jeff McCord. Jeff, what do you find the most difficult as you relate to God? And then what also just comes more easily? Oh, yeah. Well, something that Lindsay mentioned, I think it was, uh, regarding silence is terrifying. So not only was I adopted at a very early age, so I don't remember a day of not being with my family, but so I already, I remember one of my first memories in life. I was five years old looking out a window, wondering if my parents were going to come back to get me. Hmm. They were actually moving into the house that I grew up in at the time. But even to think that that would be the memory, a core memory that I'm already abandoned at five Mm -hmm. years old Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, very interesting to me. Um, but my dad, uh, my adopted dad was the nine of nines. I mean, he, uh, really was not a very expressive man, not an engaged man. And so as I rattled through all of the things of my childhood, he just was not a big presence in my life that translated into my relationship with God. So as I began to grow in my faith, I would wrestle with prayer because I didn't want to do the talking. I wanted to hear. I needed help. I needed direction. I needed counsel, wisdom, affirmation, encouragement. And I remember going, doing fast and prayer retreats, terrified of the silence. Mm -hmm. But there's a great quote. I think it's Joseph Campbell. Um, Brene Brown had uh, used it. But he he said this, um, that the cave you fear holds the treasure you seek. Mm. And I came to recognize this was probably 2010 to 2012, reading uh, Barton's book on silence and solitude. And I started to recognize what the invitation was to spending time alone. And as chaotic as it is, because if you, as a six, take time alone, your mind will start racing. But over time, you'll start, that flywheel will slow down. And God speaks, and He'll speak through providence, He'll speak through His Word, He'll speak through other people. But you end up learning that the noise in your head is not the Spirit of God, mm. but it's your anxious heart. And by spending time in silence and solitude, it actually, you, you hear more from your father. Yeah. And and so is that easier for you now, This the silence? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a both and. I, 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 to be quite honest with you, at times I find myself resistant to wanting to be still. Mm-hmm. At other times I find it so easy. I do find when I do that the Spirit of God in His kindness meets me in a very experiential way. It is such a gift. But then I still find that there's another part of me that is resistant to it, Mm -hmm. that lives off of the anxiety and chaos. It is kind of interesting how we are so fiercely committed to these different strategies that each type carries with them, even when we know that uh, it's going to be unhealthy or at times, to be quite honest with you, I don't even know that I'm doing it until maybe Beth or a friend or team or maybe even one of my kids says to me like, hey, you doing okay? Mm-hmm. And that's usually a sign that I've been walking down a path that I didn't even realize. Yeah. 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 But that's all of us. Yeah. All of us in some way. Right? Uh, we, just we, we fall back that's into right. our trances and don't even realize we're doing it. Oh, it's so true. Mm, that's good. Has there been a moment where you 
could see your personality influencing your view of God or your theology? Oh, yikes. Absolutely. I remember this one moment I was doing some reading. So the recovery meeting I go to is called the Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, ACA. And neither of my parents were alcoholics, but they had both experienced abuse. And my mom had a lifelong illness that led to her death. It actually was the reason why she couldn't have children that led to my adoption. And so she would go in the hospital multiple times a year Mm -hmm. for most of my life. And so I felt I was an only child as well. So I grew up in that sense very lonely. Well, I did not realize this until probably four years ago, but I recognize now that the way that Allender would say it, that that fragmented part of me that was harmed by the trauma that I faced over a long period of time, that I sought a theological tradition that would organize it and give me the dogma so that I would not face pain again. Hmm. So even the denomination that I was attracted to that had all of its history and confessions of faith, and these are the authors that you are to read, here are the authors you are to avoid, functioned for me as another God. And so it has been incredibly difficult now that I actually face this year stepping away from my ordination. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you that, I, I mean, how difficult it was recognizing how it didn't serve me in a healthy spiritual way. But to step away from that ordination, it feels like I'm betraying myself. It feels like I'm betraying God. But the reality is, is that my heavenly father is so much bigger than that one expression of my faith and that Beth and I are actually accomplishing so much more outside of the church versus in the local church, not at the expense of it or not because we're upset with the local church. It's just the reality of what God has given us. And so it, uh, my theology actually served as this fleshly way to address the insecurity in my heart. Yeah, I was thinking yesterday about one of the ideas of the Enneagram is that there are these nine core desires and that these desires are so profound that they literally form our personalities, right? And so in the example of the six, it's like the desire for security and the extent to which we believe that God has fulfilled that or will fulfill that is the extent to which that's the ability to live out of that true self and the extent to which can't. That's like, all right, I've got to find my own plan. But man, it gets tricky when you think I'm living out of my true self because look at all this God stuff. Yes. And then life goes on and you look back and you go, oh, crap, I just baptized my weird stuff. Yes. You know, and that's hard because there's a there's sort of like an embarrassing grief that can kind of come along with some of that. Oh, absolutely. I remember a quote that I heard many, many years ago from Jonathan Edwards that said that we must redefine fatherhood because it's so so easy for us to project our own experiences and expectations onto who God is. And I have come to understand that my father is much wilder than I could have ever imagined Mm. and way more kind and patient with me than I could ever dream. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. So Jeff, you know, each of the types has a, a key message that they long to hear, you know. So if, if you imagine that Jesus is standing in front of you and he looks you in the eyes and he tells you, Jeff, you are safe in my care, what, what effect does that have on you? Well, the initial way that it lands on me is just tears. 
like I feel seen and attuned to. I, I think mm. of the three questions of attunement. Do you see me? Do you hear me? And can you help me? And that Jesus would attune to me that way. That's actually what I experience so much whenever I do spend times in extended times of solitude. It's usually in a solitary place, not in a building, but outdoors. And I feel seen and understood. Not that there's any promises that my circumstances are going to change, but that I simply feel seen. But one of the passages that has always resonated with me, and I've come to understand it's in light of the core longing of the six, comes from Psalm 32, where David's writing, he says, I, I will instruct you and I'll teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. And man, as a six, I mean, I have it in my office because I, if there's any verse in the Bible, that is the one verse that I hope to be true. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right, Jeff, talk to us about practicing the virtue of courage and how that shapes your relationship with God and others. <laughs> well, no, I think firstly, I, I, it doesn't feel like courage because, uh, you know, accompanying it is all the other things mm. of fear and sadness and shame and excitement and joy and faith. In my younger years, I would say that I came across way more counterphobic. And mm -hmm. so my heart's kind of calmed down. I'm less uh, testy and aggressive as I've gotten older. But when I think about courage now, so much of it is overcoming negative beliefs around scarcity. And so I have these lines in my head that I often uh, will repeat. One of them uh, that I love a lot is that God got you into this thing and he will get you through this thing. Mm. And, and that just serves as a reminder, like it's okay for me to experience the fear of what we may be doing. So this last book we released, this is not a theory about the Enneagram. This is not a new approach that Beth and Jeff just kind of created, but it's an approach that came out of our own therapy. It's what Beth and I and our kids talk about every single day. I remember reading the audiobook. And being scared to death, like, why in the world did I put this out into the world? Mm -hmm. That is so ridiculous. And then I remember God got you into this thing and he's going to carry you through this thing. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, so I mentioned my theological tradition, which is uh, covenantal reform Presbyterianism. And with all of its details that go along with it. Well, the last thing that you want, like you are trained so much to avoid anything outside of that tradition. I had to go through four years of seminary, 24 hours of exams. And every time I transitioned between churches, I had to go through another exam, making sure that no wrong beliefs were in me. And now I'm leading an Enneagram organization where everybody thinks that I'm, you're a heretic <laughs> and some kind of occultist. Like what in the world am I doing? This is yeah. my the worst tradition, nightmare. The tradition is now writing books about you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what not to yeah. do? Well, good news, I'm not the face of the company, so they're writing a more about Beth than they are me. So I'm a little uh, spoken like a true uh, saint. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the middle of the pack. She's in the front. <laughs> but I mean, there's that there's that part of it that I, you know, what I referred to earlier from Campbell: the cave you fear holds a treasure you seek. And so 
by stepping into some of the most fearful things, I actually find more courage on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the more that I do it, the more practice I have with feeling all of the feelings that would preclude me from doing it, the more I actually step into it, um, the more comfortable I become. Mm, that's good. Well, my friend, I think uh, it's time for us to goof off a little bit. Yeah. So oh, fun. everyone stay with us because when we come back, we will be playing What's Your Number with Jeff McCord. Stay with us. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There, you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping your Enneagram story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the Enneacast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. And now it's time for What's Your Number? Okay, our game today is called What's Your Number? Uh, Here's how you play. Jeff, I'm going to read you a card, and then you're going to rank what is on that card from 1 to 10. 1 meaning that you absolutely despise it, 10 meaning that you love it. Oh, okay. Keep that number to yourself. So once you have your number, Lindsay and I are each going to try to guess what number we think that you have ranked this thing. We will take turns saying our guesses out loud. We can't pick the same number. And after we've each taken a guess, you will then reveal what number you chose. And whoever guessed the closest gets a point. So best out of five wins. Are you both ready to play? Yes. I think so. Yeah. All right. I mean, that was such a sexy comment. I yeah. think so. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what I was thinking as I was reading it? I, I was thinking some of these answers he'll think both one and 10. I think yeah. both one and 10. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Round one the TV show Shark Tank. Hmm. The TV show Shark Tank. Do you know the premise, Lindsay? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so people come in, entrepreneurs, they pitch they their products, and they pitch to these big business tycoons who decide to invest or not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, Lindsay, I'll let you go first. <gasps> One, all the way up to ten, what does Jeff think of the TV show Shark Tank? He's kind of an entrepreneur. Yes. So, but I don't really picture him watching Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, like, a six. He's... Into the idea, but not necessarily watching it. Okay. I'm going to go uh, one above you. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I sort of had seven in mind. My gut is, yeah, it's sort of like just fun entertainment, but mm-hmm. it's also sort of an interesting thing to watch. And there's also sort of like, you know, yeah, it's just kind of business, creative, and also benign. Mindless. Yeah. So, okay, Jeff, what's your number? 
It's a six. <gasps> it's a six. Oh. It's a good job. I don't think I've ever guessed but, it on the dot. Yeah, congratulations. That's good. I mean, you, but you nailed it. Like I, I don't watch the show, but I want to present our business case. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't need them. You guys are like already going and. Oh come on, Lindsay. I, you're saying a six. <laughs> trust yourself. <laughs> okay, you're right. You're right. Uh, okay, Beth. Side note: You guys are doing great. Uh, <laughs> yes. Also, if if Jeff answers a six for every I was answer, say, I'm guess up for I've everyone. got I've got questions. <laughs> I don't think he's going to answer six for this next no, one. Though. No. Okay. Round two. <laughs> clowns. Clowns. Do you think Mr. Jeff McCord <laughs> hates clowns, loves clowns, or is indifferent? You can go first. I'm going to go first. Um, I think two. That was exactly what I was going to say. Okay. I think on the rare occasion, he, there may be a, a clown out there that he doesn't yeah. hate. But uh, I'll just say three because, yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, Jeff, what's your number? Yeah, I put down one on that one. Yeah. I hate clowns. I don't really. Not really. Into I, the I feel very clownish. You know, six is that kind of <laughs> whimsical, fun. I can be the kind of the leader of the party. Mm-hmm. But yet, uh, yeah, they're a bunch of fakes. Yeah. <laughs> not. Scary fakes. Yeah. Uh, quick sidebar. Uh, years ago, we filmed something for LTN that is in the vault and we've never released it. And in this video. Where Jesus meets clowns. No, but I dressed up as a clown. <gasps> And it was a whole scene. We had kids there. There was a cookout. Oh, it was the full thing. (laughs) And it was was a video. And uh, so long story short is that after this long day of filming, we get home and I get to my house and I open the front door. And from our bedroom, I hear my wife yell, you better not be coming to this house dressed like a clown. <laughs> no, I don't want no Yeah, dude. But clowns. Yes. <laughs> yep. And I started to walk in and she was like, no, I'm not kidding. Don't come in this room. My so. sister dated a professional clown. Ooh. Yep. At least she didn't say married. <laughs> uh, okay. Round three. Flying in small airplanes. Flying in mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. airplanes. When we say small, are you thinking like... Not private jet small, because like, that's luxurious. Like four like passenger. Like those little American Airlines planes. Like you're in the Amazon. The, the, like, oh, yeah, uh, we could do that, like yeah. prop plane. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go like two on that one, too. Yeah, I was going to say two. I'll go, I'll just, uh, uh, I'm going to go one. Oh, okay, lower. Yeah, uh, Jeff, what's your number? Well, is the question, and this is another 60 thing, asking questions about the question, is the question whether or not I would enjoy it? It's, uh, yeah, how much do you hate or like flying, flying in, in small, small airplanes, one yeah. of those little four-passenger yeah. airplanes? Yeah. I See, I've never flown in anything, very any small planes. Uh, I think maybe once in a prop plane. I mean, I've just, most just regular airlines. But I wrote down uh, seven Wow. And part of that is because I was a campus pastor at St. Louis University. They had a flight program there. Mm. And we got to go on these trips to Central America with students. And they were telling me all about planes. And so I have just a tremendous amount of confidence in planes. Hmm. So I, it's uncharacteristic, it would seem. But because people have told me they're safe, I guess they must be safe. Authoritative people told you this. That's right. That's wild. You, man, sixes, y'all, y'all fascinating. You just, my, my wife gets nervous when there's turbulence <laughs> on a commercial airliner. But mm-hmm. in college, she went up with friends in a little biplane and flew the thing. <gasps> what? I can't wow. figure her out. She's a mystery to me. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, okay, round four, surprises. Mm, Across just, the board, just surprises. In general. Didn't see it coming. So we're saying everything from surprise party to the electricity goes out <laughs> uh, to, you know, it's just... Child calls from college and says, I need to tell you something. Yeah, oh gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine? Okay, so I go first, right? Yes. Okay, uh, surprises, I'm going to say four. Mm-hmm. Not as preference. Yeah, but there's some no, good ones. There's some good ones. Yeah, I'm going to go five. Okay, Just Jeff, like... Jeff, what's your number? My number's a seven, again. <gasps> I love surprises, and but you're you're right in the sense that we talked about earlier. I, it's a both and. I vigilantly prepare for whatever surprises may come. <laughs> oh, so yeah. there are no bad ones because he's prepared. He's ready for them all. <laughs> well, I, but here's the thing. I'm never prepared. That's the facade of the six. Like mm-hmm. it's a lie that you can prepare enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, just reality is too dynamic for that. Yeah. There is a sense that I love surprises because number one, I can show how scrappy I am to get through it. Or if it's a good surprise, then it outflanks me and reminds me of God's playfulness. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, Jesse, there's no coming back. <sighs> Yeah, what's the score right now? It's three to one. Yeah, that's no yeah. good. Last round, double or nothing. Hey, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, round five, weapons training. <laughs> weapons training. Okay, I'm going to go eight. Uh, I was going to go pretty high. I'm going to go seven. I, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the Be idea prepared. of weapons training works <laughs> just fine. Okay, Jeff, final round. Yeah, what's your number? The- the number was eight. Um, <laughs> I, I grew grew up with weapons with my dad and owned guns. And yeah, they. I just, I don't go and shoot clay or hunt or anything anymore, but uh, I do like the experience. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, I've got a friend, type six. He always has a weapon within 15 feet of him. Really? And if you're listening, you know who you are. And yeah, I always think, man, that is one prepared six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just in case something happens, you know. He's ready. The zombie apocalypse come. You go stay with him. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we did a podcast episode on which number would survive the zombie apocalypse. Oh, six. It was fascinating. I would, my money would always be on six. There is something about the six and being prepared and thoughtful about it. And yeah, super funny how each type sevens and eights die quickly. Yeah. Because they're (laughs) they're willing to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. They're out. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations, Lindsay Lewis. You have won. What's your number? Okay. And now it's time for 11 quick questions. Okay. So we're going to ask you 11 questions. You can answer with one word, one phrase, or one sentence. Sounds good. All right. Number one. What is a word you use too much? Mindfulness. Mm. I am mindful. Number two, what is a word you wish you never had to say again? It's two words. It's financial forecasting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's good. Number three, what makes you feel alive? People's lives changed. Mm. Number four, what repels you? Inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite emotion? That's a really good one. That almost brought me to tears. What is my favorite emotion? Hope. Mm. What is your least favorite emotion? 
shame. What sound or noise do you love? I love blues music. Mm. Hmm. What sound or noise do you hate? A dripping faucet. <laughs> if you could switch Enneagram types for a day, which one would you like to try? I'd love to try an eight on. Mm. Yeah, instead of uh, instead of just thinking you're an eight, you could really yeah. just be one. Yeah, <laughs> just go for it. <laughs> That's uh, right. Number 10, if you could tell your teenage self one sentence, what would it be? You will be okay. Mm. All right, last one. What is the first thing you want to say to God when you meet him? Thank you. Mm. Well, Jeff, thanks so much, man. This has been so good. We're so grateful for you. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me. I Yeah, this is really special. Normally, I feel like I'm the content expert, but to uh, uh, have an opportunity for people to be curious about my heart feels really special. So mm -hmm. I'm privileged to have been with you both and just the thoughts and care that you put into this and really hope it's helpful for people. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Jeff McCord. Listen, go buy Jeff's new book, More Than Your Number, A Christ-Centered Enneagram Approach to Becoming Aware of Your Internal World. You can pick that up wherever you buy good books and check out all the work that they're doing over at Your Enneagram Coach. Just head over to yourenneagramcoach.com. They have tons of video courses and coaching opportunities, lots and lots of resources. Mm -hmm. Also, special thanks to Crosspoint Ministry who helped train us in the Enneagram. You can check them out at crosspointministry.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. We provide internships focused on service, community, and discipleship for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. This episode was written by Lindsay Lewis and myself. Anna Tran is our media director and producer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere and Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm -hmm.